Grab your Bibles. Turn with me. Acts chapter 11, folks. Acts each other and want to chat. That's awesome. I always said I wanted to go to a friendly church, and now I go to one. Very friendly. Acts chapter 11. Turn with me. We'll pick up right where we left off. We'll ask the Lord for his blessing as we always do. Now, Heavenly Father, as we open the scriptures, would you be faithful, as you always are, to open our hearts? Or just today, just such an important truth to get down deep in, inside of us. And we need the help of the Holy Spirit to do that. We, we pray that you would help us grace our lives with your wonderful mercy and your truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I have a question for you. Can a man who's been sentenced to six consecutive life terms in prison without the possibility of parole uh, ever come to know the saving grace and love and forgiveness of God through Jesus Christ? Well, yeah, we say that. It's hard, though to really believe that. Now let me give you an example of why I'm saying that and, and why the focus of Acts chapter 10 and 11 are so important. Uh, I heard recently that back in 1987, a notorious serial killer, David Berkowitz, AKA Son of Sam, had become a, a Christian in prison after 10 years, serving 10 years. Uh, I had mixed emotions, so I went online because I was like, really? I mean, is it legit? A lot of people profess to come to Christ, especially when they're in prison and perhaps want to get out, right? So I wanted to hear, it, hear him in my own ears and, and see him on the video there. So I went to a place called, I highly recommend it, Washed Red. Dot com. They collect dramatic Christian uh, testimonies and they dramatize them. Uh, very compelling. Back in the 70s, when I was in high school, I remember this, the son of Sam. Yeah, Sam was the shortened name of the demon mentor that he was following in his pagan satanic worship rituals. Uh, so this son of Sam uh, shot in cold blood six young people and wounded seven others. Uh, I really wanted to see, is this legit? Is it, is, is it possible? The other emotion that I had that quite honestly, I have to admit, as they start, they start flashing the pictures of the young people who were shot. They just look, they're high school pictures. And you see the gun and they're dramatizing it very well. And, and I started to fight. <coughs> The feeling of, you know what, God, if you saved him very good, I'm gonna, I'm gonna turn this off now. I, I'm happy. I don't, I don't necessarily want to hear about it. And I kept watching, realizing, wow, this is kind of what we've been talking about. Uh, is it true? Whosoever will come to me, I shall never turn away. Whosoever, does that really mean whosoever? And uh, I mean, I started to really struggle with that. Can God, would God, should God? Well, I know as a pastor and a Christian, I know the answer to that in my head, but in my heart, I was really struggling 
thinking about the victims and the way it all happened. So he started talking and he said, you know, I grew up in misery. He said, I was always drawn to the dark as a little child. I was disturbed. Nobody knew why. I'd be under the bed having seizures in the dark. I'd lock myself in a dark closet and be so happy. I'd spend there, I'd spend hours there. And then he said, when I was a teenager, an older teenager, somebody invited me to a party. We went to a bonfire and the fire raged and they were chanting, it was Wiccan pagan names. And he said, at first I thought it was a joke, but then they started saying Satan has power. And I yielded my heart and I said, I opened up. And he said, I felt empowered. And I, I felt, oh, that's what I've been looking for in the dark all the time. And he said, I felt like I found what I was looking for. And then after animal sacrifices, he said, you know, we did human sacrifices. One, two, three, four, five, and then six. Then I got caught, confessed, tried, sentenced to 600 some odd years. He said, I went to prison, and he said, I can't tell you, agony, just agony in there, dark, miserable, terrible. And he goes, look, and his throat was a scar, red, right across. And he said, someone slit my throat with a razor. And he said, unfortunately, I lived. And then he said, one night, I was walking the track in the prison yard, and a born-again Christian inmate came up to me and said, I feel really impressed to tell you that God loves you. And he said, I laughed and joked and ridiculed him and said, God is not interested in killers like me. And he said, that's where you're wrong. God is interested in killers like you. And he was kind of stunned. And the guy stuffed a little New Testament uh, in his pocket and he started reading Psalms at night. Uh, part of me is saying, oh, I see this coming. He's going to get saved and filled. He's going to be a pastor. You know? and, I, and I'm like, yeah. <laughs> so I was torn in two. That's what the whole text this morning is about. That we can't let that side of our human understanding and our offenses rightfully so sometimes, get in the way of a gospel that is so big and so wide, no human mind could have come up with it. We can't understand it. I mean, when Jesus wasn't kidding around when he said, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will never drive away. So he read Psalm 18, and he said the lights came on, he, he convulsed on the floor, he stood up, and he said, I don't know what to tell you, and I don't expect you to, I don't expect anything from anybody. All I'm telling you is I, I read Psalm 18, I got down on my knees, and I came up a Christian. That's all I know. And whether anybody believes me or not, that's your business. But, you know, and then it shows him ministering in prison. In this morning's text, we find believers in the Lord, spirit-filled, who are wrestling the same issue. Um, can anyone no matter who they are or what they have done or how messed up they are or what we think about them, can they come to know God's love and forgiveness? Let me tell you this. The early Christians for 10 years really were not convinced. 10 years it took to get through born-again Christians who all happened to be Jews. They were born again, spirit-filled. 
They did not understand for 10 years that it wasn't us against them. It was God for all of us, making his son available to whosoever will believe in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. So let me set up the context if you weren't here last week so we can dive right in. Peter's kind of getting it. Now after 10 years, he's sort of getting it because he knows he has to take the gospel to the world and he figures if I'm gonna take the gospel to somebody, I gotta get close enough to them to do that. So he's actually going inside non-Jews doors, which is a Jewish no-no, hanging out with these non-Jewish people and uh, something that people just didn't do if you were Jewish. Okay, so he's gone inside Cornelius' house. Cornelius was a Roman military man there who was seeking the Lord. He wanted to know how to be saved, and the Lord is providing Peter there. And Peter now has led a whole house full of bacon-eating former idol (laughs) worshipers to faith. Now, when I say bacon-eaters, I mean a joke on Gentiles, non-Jews, because they could eat pork and the Jews did not. And so, uh, uh, no, no Moses, no circumcision, no dietary restrictions. They went straight to Jesus. Uh, they got a quick baptism. You dry them off and they were good to go. You know, <laughs> that was unheard of. It was unheard of. They just couldn't get it through their heads that someone, anyone, whoever, could just come to Jesus and bang, have eternal life, just for the asking just for trusting. So, okay, here we are. Peter has just led them to the Lord. The Holy Spirit has fallen. People are praising God. They're all Gentiles in the room. We've got the Gentile day of Pentecost, all right? So everybody's praising God. Everybody's happy. Uh, The Roman ladies probably made some pork chops and pasta, all right? And, And Peter probably sat down and probably had a bite or two. He's happy. He's freed up. He's going from Jewish legalism to the wonderful grace of God. Everybody's happy. Everybody's rejoicing. Everybody's having a good time except the spirit-filled, born-again Christians at headquarters in Jerusalem. And that is the context of what's going on. You know, I picture it, you know, everybody, you know that song from Lion King, Can You Feel the Love Tonight? (laughs) I see them all just kind of with the candles, you know, singing, singing that song, and then Peter gets a phone call. Hey, Peter, what's up? Where are you at? You're in the house of a Gentile? What's on the table? Well, can I tell you? I mean, people got saved here. No, I don't, we don't care about that. We want to know, was there bacon involved? <laughs> can you come see us? Yeah, I'll be right there. Give me a couple days. It's 50 miles. <laughs> Hangs up the phone, and here we go. Verse 1. The apostles, yeah, the apostles. Underline that. The apostles and the brothers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers, the Jewish believers, criticized him and said, you went into the house of uncircumcised men and ate with them. Peter began and explained everything to them precisely as it happened. I was in the city of Jaffa praying And in a trance, I saw a vision. 
I saw something like a large sheep being let down from heaven by its four corners, and it came down to where I was. I looked into it, and I saw four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, reptiles, and birds of the air. Then I heard a voice telling me, get up, Peter, kill and eat. I replied, surely not, Lord. Nothing impure or unclean has ever entered my mouth. The voice spoke from heaven a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times. And then it was all pulled up to heaven again. Right then, three men who had been sent to me from Caesarea stopped at the house where I was staying. The spirit told me to have no hesitation about going with them. These six brothers, right here, six of them, count them, they're right here with me, also went with me, and we entered the man's house. Yeah, we went into the house. He told us how he had seen an angel. An angel appeared in his house and said, send to Joppa for Simon, who's called Peter. He'll bring you, underline this, he will bring you a message through which you and all your household will be saved. Ah, that's what Cornelius was asking about in those prayers. Verse 15, as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came on them as he had come on us at the beginning. Then I remember what the Lord said. John baptized with water, but you will be baptized in the Holy Spirit. So if God gave them the same gift as he gave us, who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could oppose God? Now, when they heard this, they had no further objections and praised God, saying, and I love it. So then, God has granted even the Gentiles repentance unto life. Even those yucky Gentiles get to have eternal life. Well, that's going to be our text this morning, and let's kind of uh, gather our thoughts around three ideas. Number one, the repetition is necessary. Number two, their objection is ridiculous. And number three, Peter's explanation is powerful and effective. All right? So let's talk about the repetition. Because this story is now repeated. If you were here last week, you realize this is about the umpteenth time that we've heard the whole thing in different various degrees. Uh, Because, really, quite frankly, the story is not over. The simplicity of salvation, that faith alone plus nothing saves. Uh, Whoever you are, whatever you've done, you can come to the Lord and have eternal life and reign and rule with him forever, for free. Just come and ask. Is it that easy? Well, that's why we're going to repeat this. Because not only isn't the problem solved in their minds yet, it sounds like it is today, but this is an issue that will uh, dog the church until the end. In fact, it's dogging the church today, some of these same ideas. And so repetition's really necessary and we have to go through it all again. A lot of pastors just say, all right, chapter 11, you know what, we heard this. Been here and done this last week. But no, there's a reason, there's a reason. My, uh, one of my professors at seminary used to say, God does not have a stuttering problem. 
In other words, when you see repetition, the Holy Spirit is saying, underline, underline, get this through your head, get this through your head, get this through your head. The friend, pastor friend who was stuck on a point, I think it was pr about prayer, and that somebody went up to him and said, pastor, I'm so tired of hearing you about prayer, 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 prayer. And he said, did you pray today? <laughs> and he said, no. And he goes, I'll stop as soon as you start praying. <laughs> Repetition is necessary. So I went back, just out of curiosity, I want to know how many times have we heard this? Parts of it, all right? So first of all, Roman, the Roman centurion, Cornelius, his vision, all right? First of all, he's told, of course, to, uh, your prayers have been heard, send for this guy, he's got the message you're looking for, you can get saved, all right? First time we hear it, the first time. And then we hear it repeated when the guys go and get Peter, they tell Peter about it, right? And then we hear it when Cornelius tells Peter when Peter arrives. The whole thing. Notice the, it never says, and then they told him the story. No, 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 we have to hear the whole thing. It was three o'clock, I was praying, and I saw a vision. No, why not? God knows how to edit he wants people to get it. And so it's over and over again. And then number four, Peter's telling it again. The same thing. We're hearing about how Cornelius saw this angel. It's of God and all of this. Now, Peter's strange vision with the sheet. You know, you might be saying, if I hear about this sheet one more time, I could recite it with you. You know, really? Well, number one, Luke tells the reader the first time. And then Peter tells the Gentile crowd about it at Cornelius' house. And now Peter's standing before the Jewish Christian apostles and leaders because he's called on the carpet. He's going to tell the whole story again. But it doesn't say, and so Peter told them the whole story. And then they praise God and they say, ah, why not? Because he wants us to get it. Whosoever calls on the name of the Lord. It doesn't matter who they are, what they look like, what they've done. It doesn't matter what you think about them. It doesn't matter if they're worthy of it or not worthy. It doesn't matter if they've killed. It doesn't matter what they've done because Jesus became it. He who knew no sin became that sin so he can offer to the sinner eternal life through him. And he only asks one thing, believe, trust in me. Is it that easy? Our hearts are like, truly, really? That's why repetition is necessary. Jesus died for everyone. Whoever comes to God through him will be given eternal life so that God forbid, you know why he keeps repeating it? So that out of our mouths, who represent the living God, we are his ambassadors. God forbid, out of one of our mouths, we say something, you know what, sir? God is not for or not interested in killers like you. Six people, maybe you should have thought about this when you were killing them in cold blood when they were out on a Friday night, their whole lives ahead of them. And you stock up and just blow their brains out. God is not interested in a, a weirdo, evil, twisted, perverted man like you. That's why he has to repeat it over and over again. Do not tell anyone that I have and can make clean that they can't be clean. 
That's the good news. The good news that even son of Sam can be called son of hope. That's his new name. I like that he chose that. He could have said son of God, but that's kind of in your face, right? I, I like, oh, no, I was son of Sam, no, I'm son of God, you know? I like that he said son of hope. I'm son of hope now. That's why we need the repeating, the whole story, because I just wondered, was it enough last week to rid all the prejudice in your heart and my heart about the gospel and people who have hurt us or who are evil in the world? It wasn't for me. I need to wake up every day with this new revelation of God's love for everybody, that whosoever will repent. There's a way. And we can't allow our offenses and our personal prejudices to get in the way of that. Uh, God never condones or excuses. He has a perfect hatred for what evil is. And there will be a coming day where the Lord Jesus, and I'm quoting 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verses 7 and 8, there will come a day when the Lord Jesus will be revealed with fire from heaven in blazing glory, and he will destroy those who do not obey the gospel and shut them out from his glorious presence with everlasting destruction. That's a quote. But who are the bad guys? Who are they? <laughs> That's the problem. We don't know who the bad guys are. It wasn't son of Sam. He was actually one of us, but we didn't know it. Paul the apostle was disguised as a Christian killer. Mary Magdalene was disguised as a demonized prostitute. We didn't know she was as she walked the streets. We didn't really look at her and say, you know, there goes the first witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh-uh, no. So because we don't know, because a lot of good guys act like bad guys and a lot of bad guys are acting like the good guys, we just have to keep an open heart. Hate the sin, love the sinner, offer the gospel as freely, listen, underline this, as it was offered to you. All your sins were washed away. As far as the east is from the west, he forgot about what you did and what you are and what you could be without him. We have to have that. I don't want to belabor the point, but we don't want to be like Jonah. You know, Jonah, we talked a little bit about it last week. He had such an attitude. The Lord asked Jonah, he said, could you go to the baddest boys on the planet, the Ninevites? Just picture a black hooded uh, terrorist who just, are doing ruthless things. That's who the Ninevites were. So Jonah said, no way, I'm not doing this. <laughs> you can save them on your own. Find somebody else to tell them about you because I'm not doing it because I hate those guys. And I know how you are. So I'm going this way. You told me to go that way. So the Lord said, listen, I'm way smarter than you, Jonah. I've got a hotel room reserved for you at the bottom of the sea. All right. I want you to take three days in the dark and think about it. Think about my love. Did I ask you what you thought about the Ninevites? I really don't care what you think about them. I asked you to go tell them. Asked it, the king said, hey, we just saw a guy climb out of the mouth of a whale, all right? He's got a message from God. I think we, got, we better believe it, all right? So they started fasting and praying. Jonah climbs up on a hill, and he's waiting, 41, 42, 
43, the steam's coming out of his ears. And the Lord says, you're mad, aren't you, big boy? The big boy is in the Hebrew. It's really hard to find because <laughs> it's not there. And Jonah says, you bet I'm mad. I'm so mad I could die. I wish I was dead. Okay? And then he says, Lord, isn't this what I told you? Isn't this why I ran? Listen, I'll quote. Isn't this what I said when I was still in Israel? This is, what, this is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you're a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. I knew this was going to happen. I knew I would preach the gospel. They would shed some tears and they would turn and the bad boys would repent and then you would forgive them. I didn't want that to happen. Now, Jonah had a change of heart. You know why? You know how we know? Because you read about it. Because he wrote Jonah. So that the fact that we have the four chapters is the fact that Jonah got the lesson. Amen. The Lord's answer to him was, man, come on. There are 120,000 souls on board. 120,000 souls. As he told Ezekiel in chapter 33, verse 11, he said, as surely as I live, says the Lord, I take no delight in the death of the wicked, rather that they would turn from their sin and live. That's God's heart. And it must be our heart who represent him. Get said, I represent somebody, and then say, hey, there's no room for you, buddy. Can't do that. You got to open our hearts because that's who he is. Amen? All right, the reason for repetition, because we're so slow to fully understand God's grace and even slower to dispense it to those we find objectionable. Rightfully <laughs> objectionable, but that doesn't matter. It's his love that matters. Okay, repetition is reasonable. Number two, the objection is not. It's ridiculous. Okay, so what do we got here? Big news has gotten back 50 miles to Jerusalem uh, way before Peter did. Uh, now, what's the big news? Ch check this. Don't let it escape your notice. The Gentiles are receiving the word of God. Just notice for me here that it doesn't say the Gentiles, big news, have received Jesus. They had, but that's not how it's coined here. In other places it says receive Jesus. But here it says they received the word of God, the gospel. It doesn't say they, hey, big news, the Gentiles have received the Holy Spirit. They had, and in other places it's described we received the Holy Spirit. But here, no. Why? The method of salvation is being emphasized that through man's mouth and through a message comes eternal life. Now, this is amazing. Look at verse 14. The angel tells uh, Cornelius, send for my messenger, Peter, who will, underline this, bring you a message through which you will and your household will be saved. Wow. Have you stopped to think about that? I mean, Cornelius was praying and asking, seeking, and, and he needed a messenger and a message to be saved. Now, that's why churches get a little uptight about having a distraction-free zone when the word of God is being taught or preached. Uh, our worship team went to Monterey 
couple weekends ago for a conference, and one of them, I forget who it was, came up to me and said, on the back of their sanctuary doors, they have engraved in bronze, if you are coming in during the message, we ask that you be seated in the rear of the sanctuary, in bronze. Now, most churches have a sign like that, or ushers who ask people who get up while the word of God is going forth, uh, if, if they get up from the front or so, they go back all the way, not to come all the way back and all the way back because of, listen, the reverence of the word of God. Paul tells the Corinthians that salvation is granted, it pleased God to save through the preaching and the message of his word. So the word of God's doing his work. And so some churches get criticized. They're so uptight, you know, toddlers can't be running around. Yeah, sorry. It's the word of God. Somebody may be in heaven and have eternal life afterwards because they had a distraction-free place where there was reverence for what truly the word of God is. These guys received the word of God and they got saved. That's what it means. And so, you know, some people, you know, somebody came up to me there. Have you ever been stuck behind somebody who's giving somebody a, a back rub at church or, or caressing, big, long caresses and things like that? And, and, and nobody's thinking, everybody behind you, everybody is distracted. I've been there. I've been in the back going, I'm going to go over there. I'm going to say, hey, what are, come on, man. I, I'm interested in the Lord as much as you are. You see? And then you get this whole thing, oh, they're so uptight in that church. Yeah, I, we're uptight because it's the word of God. And we give it, and it, and it saves. It saves. It is the saving agent. Listen, Romans chapter 10, verse 17. Look it up for yourself. Faith comes by hearing the word of God. Period. You don't get saved without the message. You don't. That is how God saves. So we make a place for the message. I'm not just talking right now about this context. I'm talking about when we're out with people. It's the word of God. Share the word of God. Revere the word of God. Memorize the word of God because it's the message that saves. It's just a beautiful thing that I just noticed in passing that I just had to go around the mountain about five times with, but... <laughs> You know how I am. Can you notice also with me, strangely enough, uh, the objection wasn't that other nationalities were receiving the word of God. It, it wasn't about Gentiles getting saved. It was that you went in a Gentile's house, you shared a meal, you ate and touched only God knows what or who. That's our problem. Now, notice who's offended. Spirit-filled apostles you know all the disciples' names, right? Most of them. They're standing there with scowls. Andrew and John. They're the apostles, the believers. These are not, this is not the Sanhedrin. Here's the irony. Peter's standing defending himself in front of spirit-filled brothers in the Lord who have their hands on their self-righteous hips saying, you went into their houses. What's wrong with you? Do you even, do you like Gentiles? What kind of Jew are you? What's happening to you? Wow. That's how deep this is. John, could you not speak? We don't hear you in the chapter. Where are you? 
Andrew, you're his brother. Hello, you've got a word to say? You know how sensitive of a subject this is? It kept John and Andrew from speaking. It's 2,000 years of Jewish history we're talking about and Jewish ways of doing things. John and Andrew are quiet. So is everybody else. You did something we don't agree with. Ew, you went into a nasty house with nasty people. Uh, you even sat down. Would you eat bacon? Did you eat bacon, man? You, you can tell us. We're here for you. Not. <laughs> All right. All they could see was a violation of the cultural rule. Let me give you an example, modern day one. And get your eyes off it. Here they can't see all these Romans praising God. All they can see is Peter went in the house and ate with non-kosher food, right? I was teaching a Sunday school class 20 years ago uh, in between services at another denomination. Um, it was a new chapel. And I led some young man to the Lord. Oh, just glowing. It was wonderful. We both had coffee afterwards. We're standing in the new chapel with the coffee. I've told the story before. I see a look on the face of the usher that looks like bad news. He looked like somebody had just died or he was going to go kill somebody. All right? So I, I knew, okay, something's wrong. He's mad about something. And then I saw him making a beeline to us. Now I'm thinking, here's this brand new Christian. He's only 15 minutes old. All right? So I try to head him off at the pass. I'm like, Brother Paul, Brother Paul, Brother Paul, this is John. He just got saved. He just got saved, man. Like, oh, whatever it is you're going to say. And he goes, gentlemen. And he heard me say that. He just got saved. He got saved. Isn't that great? And he goes, gentlemen, you got coffee? This is new carpet. You know how much money the church raised for this chapel and this coffee? I mean, probably on the coffee that you're drinking. Did you pay for that? No. This carpet costs a lot of money. Out, 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 out. Shooing me. Out, out, out. He went out. I never saw him again. I didn't expect to ever see him again. Eyes only on the carpet and not the living thing that God was doing. Eyes on the bacon and not what God was doing there. <laughs> How about John chapter 5, the lame guy? Jesus shows up. He heals him. What does he tell him? It happens to be Saturday when you're not supposed to lift anything heavier than a dried fig, according to the rabbis. So what does Jesus tell him? He stands up. He can use his legs. First time in his life. And Jesus says, hey, you know what I want you to do? I want you to pick up your mat that weighs more than one dried fig. And I want you not allowed to carry no carrying burdens. That, that's an offense. Right? And I want you to carry it. Not only do I want you to lift work, I want you to carry it. And see that guy with the robe? I want you to walk right by with your little bird. <laughs> right. He didn't go that far, but that's what he came to do to break men's traditions. So not, listen to me well here, not eating with a Gentile or going into their house was not Jewish law by God. It was the tradition of the rabbis who said, let us help God out. Here's what God means when he says, uh, have a kosher diet. Watch the immorality of your pagan neighbors. 
if you don't go in their house and you don't eat from their table, then we'll keep you safe from ever becoming defiled. So then that became Jewish law. But there were many things that were so confusing, and so the average layperson didn't know. What, what is God's law or, or the rabbi's law? And so this was one of the crazy laws, that you don't go in their house. You're defiled. Where does it say that in the Old Testament? Nowhere. But it was a law, right? Just like these other, they, they're crazy laws. I went to Israel with the group in May, and I walked in an elevator, and the elevator was going, stopping at every floor. What's up with that? That's like a nightmare. When you're on the high floor, every floor stopping, what is that? It's a Shabbat elevator. So a Shabbat elevator stop at every floor so observant Jews don't break the Sabbath by pressing the button. When you press the button, you start a spark that sends the electricity going, so you've broken the Sabbath because you started a fire. Therefore, we have created a whole system of elevators so that you don't have to break the Sabbath. Observant Jews do not drive cars on Saturday. Why? You're starting a fire every time you press down on the accelerator. Not in the Bible, but if you look it up on Wikipedia, it'll say Jewish law states. Anybody who reads that thinks, oh, it's in the Old Testament. No. It's not in the Old Testament. It's an interpretation by the rabbis to help people like you and me please God. And so they have the set of these crazy laws. Don't go in their house and don't eat with them. And so we see that was really what the whole um, objection was about. And it was ridiculous, just like all of them. Last point, all right? Now, the Christian critics lay out their complaint. Yeah, Peter's standing there. It's time to make his defense. Um, what's crazy, like I said, it's not in front of the Sanhedrin, right? It's in front of spirit-filled apostles before Christians. So here's, here's their charge. We've heard you've gone into Cornelius' house. You stayed there, and we heard that you sat at the breakfast table, and our sources even smelled uh, some pork sausage, all right? So how do you answer to that? Well, that reminds me of Lucy uh, and R Ricky, Ricky Ricardo. <laughs> when he used to come home, Lucy was in trouble. Lucy, you've got a lot of splaining to do. Well, poor Peter. Now look, did you, I hope you catch this. Peter, he models for you and me how mature Christians handle it when you get unduly criticized. Because look, number one, here they make this terrible thing about him. The best defense when there's a sensitive issue and a misunderstanding, straight up narrative, don't take it personal, here's the facts. So notice what not to do. Peter sidesteps personal uh, offense. He doesn't stand there like maybe I would, all right? What are you saying? What are you guys, hell, you, am I in trouble? Am I in trouble? I brought through my lips a word that brought Romans to the living God. Are, are you criticizing me? Are you serious? Or we could go on with getting our feelings hurt. Are you, are you accusing me of sin? You saying I don't know what I'm doing, you know? 
Who should be criticizing whom? And then, I, you know, we turn the tables. You are self-righteous. You're just like the Pharisees, you guys. You'd be happy if they all went to hell. All you care about is that we don't touch them. Are you crazy? See, Peter's not name-calling. He's not offended. He's not making it all about him. He's not using the good Jewish guilt that he could make use of. As a Jew, we know how to do this. All right? This is what I... I, okay, <laughs> this is what I would have said. After all these years, <laughs> and after what we've been through, my brother, Andrew, my own brother, I grew up with you. Do you not know me by now? How could you guys? I spent three years with Jesus, three and a half years. I'm so hurt, I'm so offended, you know. You know, at the end, then you say, you guys go find another apostle you can kick around, all right? <laughs> Great quote for you. Listen, yeah, oh, you don't think, look what they're, they've called him on the carpet. They're mad at him. They're, the word is sharp for criticized. He doesn't play that game. Say, brothers, he's got humility, He's got love. He's got the fruit of the Spirit. He's got wisdom. One guy said, spiritually mature people don't fall to pieces when rude people make hurtful or unwarranted accusations. You need me to repeat that, don't you? Yes. All right, I will. Spiritually mature people don't fall to pieces when rude people make hurtful and unwarranted accusations. At a pastor's conference, one of my favorite speakers took a living room church, and with God's grace, he's, it's a mega church, Damien Kyle Modesto. Beautiful, beautiful ministry there. He spoke to pastors, and something, just an arrow to my heart, he said. He said, listen, folks, pastors, I almost gave up uh, when we were 100 people. He said, I came this close to calling it quits because of three people. Three people were never happy. Never happy, always criticizing me. We should do this. Why do you do it this way? Who do you think you are? Blah, 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 blah. Spreading problems. Three people. 97 were happy. The three were not. And gentlemen, 3% will never be happy with anything you do. Get used to it now. And God spoke to me. He's speaking. Look at the 97. You know, there's nothing wrong with constructive criticism crying out loud, but the 3% whiner Eeyore thing, he said, just to, do, do not listen to that. You're always going to have it. Let it happen. Concentrate. Be secure in yourself and your calling from God and keep a clear conscience. And he said, remember what the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 to the Corinthians who were comparing their church planter. He planted the church, and they're in Christ because of Paul, and they're comparing him to the super eloquent, super apostles. And it, and it got back to Paul. So Paul said, it, quote, it matters very little to me how you judge me or what you think about me, because God knows my heart, and he's my judge. Peter's like that. He's like, it doesn't matter what you guys see. Let me just tell you the story. He just dodged the whole thing. This isn't about me. This is about the 97, not the, the, the three. You guys are the three right now. I'm just going to let me tell you what's going on. So he said, listen, I was in Joppa praying. All right, God's involved. I had a vision. They're like, keep talking. We're listening. 
uh, a large sheet comes down out of heaven. It's got all kinds of non-kosher foodstuffs. And I hear a voice, dinner served. <laughs> and you know, I know the voice. Yeah, I hung around with him for three and a half years. And he says, arise, get up. Time to eat. And I said, Lord, you've got to be kidding me. I don't eat this kind of stuff. And the Lord said, yeah, you do now. And then I made the connection. He's not talking about pork chops. He's talking about people. And right at that time, three guys showed up who were Gentiles. Oh, I get it. Don't make distinctions anymore. Kosher, non-kosher, pagan, not pagan, Jewish, not Jewish. And so he gets it and he tells them the whole story. And he's got, I got six guys right here. Ask them. That was smart, by the way. Bring in six guys. You only needed three. <laughs> so Peter thought, well, uh, you only need three, but there's three on this side and there's three on this side. In case you don't like this three, we got three over here. And so, and then he gets down to, he says, look, and then some guy shouts hallelujah. And then guess what? Remember day of Pentecost for us? It was day of Pentecost all over again. They're shouting, praising God. I heard them speaking in tongues the whole nine yards. And then I thought, who am I to tell God who he can save and who he can't? So I thought that was just a good idea. You know, you know I learned a lesson. <laughs> I used to tell God what he could do, but now I just thought, step back, let God save who he wants to save. You know what I'm saying? And they kind of said, amen. That's my story, and I'm sticking to it. And then he throws in, hey, Jesus told us. He said, you know, John came baptizing in water, but you're going to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. But the you, the you meant them too. We thought it was you Jews. No, whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Checkmate, you know, when they heard this, they had no further objections. Love the King James. They held their peace. Yeah. And praise God saying, wow, God has granted even Gentiles repentance unto eternal life. Now, you read that and think, oh, well, happy ending. Oh, well, keep reading. 2,000 years from Abraham on just went out the window. And then they said, praise God, okay. Because they are truly spirit-filled, really godly guys. And they said, oh, we get it. Of the two visions, prayer, uh, an angel, the voice of the spirit, the t miraculous timing of everything, got it. Who were you to stand? Who are we? Amen. We're with you on this. But 2,000 years of you've got to be circumcised. You've got to go through Jewish catechisms. You've got to do this. You've got to do that. Here's your new menu. None of that. They all just said, okay, goodbye, Judaism. Hello, Christianity. That's big. That is very big that they had the courage to do that. The prejudice to let it go and say, hey, they're on equal footing. We don't have, there's no favoritism. Listen, my dad, nice Jewish boy from Brooklyn until he got saved, then he became a Jewish Christian, right? My dad uh, was not a nice guy, particularly, growing up. He, uh, when he got mad at people, he'd cuss them out. And one of the words he used in, among other words, was goy. So he used to call our next door neighbor, who we did not get along with, a goy. Now, I, didn't, I thought my dad was just making up a name, 
because I don't know what goy means, you know? None of my friends ever called anybody a goy, you know? So, so I just thought he's just, you know, making stuff up, you know? Then I, I got saved. I went to Bible college. I'm in Hebrew class. And the word for Gentile is goy. <laughs> when my dad got angry, his biggest insult word was goy. You goy. Why did he do that? Uh, first of all, I went, Dad. I was in class. I said, Dad, you're calling everybody goys. His parents, Jewish, born in Warsaw, Poland, called everybody goys. Their parents, born in Russia, Jews, called everybody, it's us and goys. They're goys. What are you going to be a goy? And in one heartbeat, they let it all go. No more goys. It's us. No more we Jews. We Christians. Goy. They have every opportunity to enter in on equal footing to the same Savior that cleansed us from our sins. No more of this looking down. That's the point of the passage. No more looking down your nose at anybody because there but the grace of God Almighty go you or go I. Amen? That's the point, is that we are to have God's love and open our hearts and just say the gospel is for whosoever will. When, when I'm, and I close with this. The arrow that got to me, I would say the biggest thing that, that stopped me in my tracks and gave me pause to become a Christian, I call it the golden arrow. I was on a, a, a bus on Market Street, 19 years old. I'm doing my thing, never been to church, you know, terrible person. And uh, I saw a church marquee, and uh, it read, come to me. All who are weary, I will give you rest. I was moved. And I thought, I, I don't qualify. I wish. I wish I could find God, but I, I'm so messed up. And a guy approached me a few weeks later, Powell Street cable car, and he said, Hey, I want to tell you about Jesus. And I said, Jesus isn't interested. And a guy like me. I said, he told me some of his sins. They were nothing, you know. One time I cheated on my math exam. I'm like, oh, brother. <laughs> Can you dig a little deeper? <laughs> and I just said, no, man, and I'm sorry. I, I, I wish, I said, I wish I could, but I can't. I'm not, I'm, 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 I'm twisted. I'm twisted. That's what I said to him. I'm twisted. And he said, God can untwist you. And I started thinking about that. And it gave me a little hope. The point of the passage is that God is for all, everybody with every problem. All your baggage. He'll help carry the baggage. <laughs> Actually, he'll take away the baggage because he'll heal you and set your heart free. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together.
Heavenly Father, we thank you for the grace that we can't wrap our minds around, that just loves us, lays down its life for us, and receives us just as we are. Lord, help us to not let pride or superiority complex or the feeling of we're better than anybody else stop us from loving others and and preaching your word and teaching your word and sharing the gospel with others. We love you for loving us the way you do. We're unworthy of it, but we so need it and we so long for it and we're so happy to have it. In Jesus' name, amen. Guy Guy at the gym next to me with his buddy using all kinds of foul language. I, I, I was defiled. <laughs> I needed to leave and pray and be cleansed over and over. And no matter where I went, I could hear them, you know? And then on top of that, they're talking about partying. When, oh, it was unbelievable. And the Lord put them on my heart to start praying. And instead of being repulsed by it and turning and rolling my eyes and missing the whole point that God would put a born-again believer somewhere near two hearts, two young men who need the Lord and missing the whole point by going, oh, yucky, ooh, I just need a spiritual shower. And then go out and feel better about myself by telling everybody how terrible they are. Oh, not like how pure I am, you know. He's teaching me. He's teaching us. Get past that. See the soul. God can get to them if we can get close enough without joining them for crying out loud, without compromising. You know, go out and have a few beers with them. No! (laughs) The few part was the problem, right? God, please help us to find that ground where we love the sinner there and see past all that stuff that drives us crazy. They need the gospel. We gotta get close. We gotta love them. We gotta lay that stuff down so that they can come in and know the Lord. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Father God, help us. It's easy in this moment. We get it now, but it's going to be hard tomorrow morning at the office when we want to roll our eyes and walk away and get away from that kind of offensive stuff. And help us know you put us there. We're the lifeguard. We're, We're there to help, and we've got to get past all the smoke screens so that we could reach out to them in love, an ambassador for you. Put people on our hearts, give us wisdom, how to walk the line with uh, wisdom, discernment, and understanding. And now as our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, maybe you're here and you're just, you were thinking, you know, God, God's not interested in a, in a person like me. <laughs> But, you know, you're kind of getting the clue that maybe he is. And you'd like to meet him, give your life to him. You never have before. This is a call to you. I'm going to give you the opportunity to just raise your hand. 
and uh, we'll say the sinner's prayer together. So if you're here, you haven't committed your life to Christ, but you're just saying, God's really spoken to me. I want to respond. I'm going to lift my hand up. Pastor, pray for me in your closing prayer. Would you lift your hand right now, nice and high, so that we can see it, and we'll pray together. Anybody here want to say, I want to take God up on his gracious offer? Amen. Thank you for the courage that it took to do that. Let's pray the sinner's prayer together. It's what we call the sinner's prayer, just a way to help you get started. You know, just mean it in your heart and walk with him. Let God work in your heart. That's what's important. Heavenly Father, dear Heavenly Father, everyone, I give you my heart. I believe in your son, Jesus Christ. He died for my sins. Forgive me for all of my sins and give me new life. Help me understand your love and to walk and live in that love. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, Father, would you dismiss us with your peace and help the the beautiful truth and the lesson of these chapters reside continually in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.